an eventful uh, weekend in sports, Mr. Shannon. Uh, everything from Jordan Spieth finally winning a golf tournament and uh, doing it in his uh, home state. Mm-hmm. Not quite his hometown, but close enough. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks apparently now have 20 players or people yeah, who have tested positive. 17 players, three coaches, uh, and a few support staff, yeah. I would think this is the worst breakout um, of in any sports team um, during this epidemic. Uh, you know, you'd have to go back to the the Cardinals, the Florida Marlins, but I don't remember them. I don't remember numbers like twenty. New, New Jersey, New Jersey Devils had, uh, I think, had seventeen at one point, Bob. Uh, and we and we should stress that because you're on the the COVID protocol list doesn't mean you have COVID. Uh, it's all about contact tracing and uh, and how close you were to to the players. And uh, there's a real concern uh, that this variant that seems to be running amok in British Columbia uh, is uh, much more uh, contagious and, and much more serious. So it's uh, th- there are a ton of stories out there. Uh, I would challenge everybody to read them. Uh, be cautious about uh, their accuracy. The NHL is transparent to a point about uh, what's going on and, and how it's managing it. But uh, I fully believe now the Canucks were supposed to return to play on Thursday. And quite frankly, there's, there's no chance of that, Bob. I don't, I don't well, expect I, it. I don't I'm, expect. Yeah, I'm going to say to you, I would think it'd be a surprise to me if they came back within 10 days. Well, I think in the end, it'll be 14 total. Uh, and 14 total would be from uh, last Wednesday. So they had shut down for seven. I think they'll shut down for seven more. That's my, my personal uh, estimate with a little consultation from a few people. Now, Vancouver does not look like a playoff team, but mathematically, no. of course, they still could get in there. And it raises the question, I mean, are you going to have to, I think you're going to have to, extend the season once again i know that's already been agreed to mm-hmm. but how far are is the league prepared to go to get all these games in well uh, you know quite frankly um it, it could be up to seven games for the canucks uh and the question is how much is it for other teams as well uh you know winnipeg has already lost two games to them calgary or edmonton has lost a game to them already and so have the flames so, um, and it's, it's not as ever, and everybody says, well, the Canucks aren't going to make the playoffs. So let's just not use those games. Let's just stop them. Well, you also have to put in consideration what it means for the other teams that are, they're playing uh, and the playoff races that they are in Montreal and Calgary are in a playoff race. Uh, right. how, how important is that now human health player safety is 20 times more than a, more important than a playoff race. Uh, but at the same time, if there's a feel they can get the variant under control and the, the players uh, back uh, in the practice facility on the ice safely, uh, then I expect that they would try to uh, extend the season probably to the 14th of, of May. It was originally supposed to end on the 8th. Then it went to the 10th, then it went to the 11th. And now I, I suspect that we're going to see or hear probably by the end of the week that uh, the, the, the season has yet again been extended, at least in the Northern Division. 
playoffs can start earlier south of the border where things look safer. But right now with Vancouver in trouble, that's uh, that would be my guess, the 14th of May. Well, and the downside to that, of course, is you're going to have teams who will have not missed any games and will be sitting now for an extended period of time at the end of the season waiting for the playoffs to begin. Uh, I think they do put that into consideration. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see, for instance, uh, the Maple Leafs and Canadians who um, were not used to playing Vancouver this late in the season um, have a game that following week in order to try to, to bridge that gap a little bit. Well, do you cancel games if they are irrelevant? In other words, if Montreal can't move up the standings and can't fall back in the standings, what's the point of playing that game? Television revenue, advertising revenue, 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 revenue. Well, then it becomes an economic situation. It's not about the players anymore. No, no, it, it, only, it only becomes a revenue issue if you deem that the players can come back safely, Bob. Player safety is first. If the players can well, come good, back, but I'm, I'm saying if the players can come back, yeah, and you play a game that winds up being meaningless in the standings, then you're doing it purely for economic reasons. Um, perhaps that's what's happening with the season anyway, Bob. Well, I can't argue that point, but yeah. they obviously felt as though they could play this season um, with some degree of control. But I'm saying specifically, if you're going to play games in May that were canceled because of this COVID situation. And the only reason you're playing them, if they have no relevance in the standings whatsoever, and the only relevance would be either, do you get in the playoffs or where do you finish in the playoffs? Then playing that game is meaningless, except for economic reasons. Yeah, yeah. but it, it is first and foremost, Robert, a business. And you know that better than anyone. Well, I get it. I'm just, I'm hypothesizing here, John. You know, I mean, uh, the notion of canceling games uh, that have absolutely no meaning at the end of a season seems like a logical thing to do. Um, every game you play, every situation you expand gives you a greater chance of... But, uh, you're not wrong, but, but, but when you consider that there are two teams in Canada, the, the television rights on a regional basis are a million dollars a game. And one of, if one of those games gets canceled, are you prepared to forfeit that? Are you prepared to tell the, the players involved in those regular season games, oh, by the way, we're canceling those games and you're not going to get a paycheck for those games? Are, are you, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a domino effect, Bob, of, of revenue. So, uh, well, but you I, can't, John, you can't, you can't talk about the importance of that, that the COVID spread is the most important thing to the NHL. And then turn around and say, but they should play games that are meaningless because it's worth you, a you, you, you put you put a word you put a word in there that I didn't use, which is should. You didn't. I'm I'm explaining the issue. I'm not necessarily saying that it's going to be the way, but it would not surprise me. Well, it wouldn't surprise me either because I understand how professional sports leagues work. Um, Calgary Flames lost another hockey game to the Toronto Maple Leafs the other night. Um, it almost doesn't matter anymore. I mean, they are, they're finished. They're dead. They're not going to the, to the postseason. Are you in agreement? Well, it, it doesn't look good. Uh, that's for sure. The, the only thing I would say is, is that, and Brad for living touched on this on, and when we had him on last week is that uh, unlike other seasons, when you um, don't play the people in front of you very often, 
you you do play the people in front of you now. You do play people directly uh, involved in the standings right now, uh, between now and the end of the season. But the question for me is, do you see this team being able to turn it around? And the answer is, I don't right now. And, no. and quite frankly, in, in listening to Daryl Sutter after the game, um, there weren't many endorsements for some of the players. Not He didn't, didn't name anybody individually, but he certainly did not endorse the play of many of his players. And that, to me, was uh, rather suspect. Uh, we have a, a special guest uh, today, uh, familiar to uh, almost everybody, I would think. He's the uh, former president of uh, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, ran the Sky Dome when it was called the Sky Dome, and some questions about, about that. Uh, when Richard Petty joins us next after these messages. Well, Cowan and Shannon uh, with you on the uh, program for this uh, Monday. Uh, he's done more than a few things in his life. Uh, I first met him, I think, when he was running the Sky Dome and uh, then went on to become the uh, head honcho at uh, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. He's uh, written books. He's um, done all kinds of stuff. Hey, don't uh, forget TSN. Don't forget NetStar or whatever it was called. Don't forget that TV network stuff. Well, I did forget that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Petty, have you forgotten that? No, actually, I, it was short, but, you know, I learned about websites and worked with Rick Brace to do some right steals and learned a bit and thought about it was really the thing that got me to think about Leafs and Raptors TV. We, we, we worked with Rick Brace, too. Uh, oh, what were your recollections, Bob? <laughs> Very humorous, John. <laughs> okay, I got that joke. Thank Rick, you. And I, Rick and I got along fine until the uh, very end. Until the end, yeah. And, um, I helped Rick. Maybe you should blame me. I helped Rick get that job because I thought, oh, he'd be a good, good person for that job. Well, he was he a good probably person. was. I, I actually don't blame Rick. I don't think Rick was the guy who uh, oh. pulled the trigger. I think Rick was told what to do by oh. some some idiot <laughs> counter who oh. undoubtedly has been subsequently fired by Rogers, or if has if they haven't, they should have been. In any event, that aside. Now, I, I know this is a little kind of off kilter but as you well know petty the uh, major league baseball season commenced this uh this weekend past with the blue jays taking two or three from the uh, new york yankees and i'm sure you still keep an eye on them and have a certain fondness for the team although you didn't work for the team you ran the building itself but it's in that context that i want want to address since last we talked there's been plenty of discussion about rogers potentially looking at thinking about building a new facility. And I'm sure you and I have had numerous conversations about this in the past. But one of the things that you raised not that long ago in a conversation was natural grass at the Rogers Center. And of course, we heard all about, you know, the University of Guelph was going to look at stuff and try and make things happen. What the hell ever happened with that? Do you know? Um, I don't think it was feasible. There, there's remember that that thing's about thirty stories high, and getting natural with the sun moving across the the sky in the daytime, it would probably not get enough light. They'd have to put in all kinds of grow lights. I remember uh, touring soccer pitches in in England, which were completely open all the time, and they were using grow lights. So 
I really don't think that was feasible. Plus, when they built Skydome, they did um, no irrigate, uh, no drainage. Yeah, so, <laughs> so how do they do that? And then when you when you've got grass and you close the roof, you've got incredible moisture, uh, which I think will ultimately damage all the electrical, the finishes, and the suites. So I think there was a lot of reasons why it never happened. Uh, that's just a layman's take at it, but um, it didn't happen. So there must have been something to all that. Richard, so the, the, the Sky Dome opened in the late 80s. Um, you were obviously part of that, as Bob said. Did, did you expect it to last how long? I mean, you got, you're, you're, you're one of those planners and thinkers and legacy guys. How long did you think it would last and be uh, the best in the business? Well, I thought, of, you know, I was running it and our expression was world's greatest entertainment center. I, I thought it was the cat's ass, frankly, until I went down to Camden Yards and walked into there and saw Boog Powell's barbecue in the right field. And I saw uh, everything that was, you know, so much spoke of, of baseball. And I thought, oh, man, we're obsolete. Now, why did I think that? Because people were building um, sports specific buildings. And that's what's happened that the mul I think Skydome was the last great multi-use building uh, that could do concerts and ice shows and basketball and baseball and football. They didn't happen after that. And that day, it just kind of triggered me that, wow, this, is, uh, this has got challenges. You know, physically, it's got enough concrete and steel in there. It can last 100 years. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just this big cavern now, you know, 54,000 seats in those days. Now they've I've got that under, under 50. The average baseball stadium is 41,000, I think. So there's a bunch of things that pointed to it. And, and, and now it's kind of a dinosaur. Well, the other, the other part of this equation, Petty, is that um, Shapiro, when he came in, had a real reluctance to operate in a multi-purpose facility and essentially kicked concerts out. The Argonauts left. I don't know whether it was that. It was the Blue Jays. Um, pushing them out but the the concept of and the reality that this was a multi-purpose multi-entertainment facility capable of 60,000 people for a concert and a football game one night and a baseball game the next night that that was gone before COVID that that whole notion essentially disappeared it became a one sport place well something else happened so in 93 or 92 before I left I wrote a strategic plan for Skydome and, and, you know, even then I was starting to think about Major League Soccer. And, and in the risk and offsets, and John's participated in our strategic plans, we always did risk and what could be facing. And I, what I identified is this building's in real trouble if a stadium is, uh, an arena is, is open because it will take all the concerts away and, and, and everything else. But that was what five years, Richard. That was only five years. Yeah. And what I, did, what I didn't know at the time, it'd be me and Bob Hunter and, yeah. and other people from Skydome who went and ran that arena. And sure enough, when we came in there, we took, all, we took everything we wanted away from them because it was a better venue. But the truth also is that in concerts, as they have evolved, and we know they have, there are two kinds of tours. There is the arena tour and there is the stadium tour. Now, there aren't many acts that will do a stadium tour. I will concede that. Mm. Um, maybe still the Stones, U2, certainly, Madonna. You know, there are a handful of acts, most of them of another generation, that can put 50, 60,000 people into, into a stadium. But even, even those essentially disappeared. 
Yeah, they were down to, you started looking at your uh, concert projections. Even then we started seeing it. You maybe get one or two a year. And, and a lot of the artists you just named, Madonna couldn't fill a stadium tour today. Uh, the Stones unbelievably probably still could, uh, but there's not many of them. What's the future, in your opinion, for um, the Blue Jays and for a, well, for lack of a better term, a baseball stadium? Or if you were involved, would you pursue a baseball-only stadium again? For, you mean a new one, not that yeah, one. if you're building a new one. Well, someone's got to have a billion dollars at least. I mean, in, yeah. in Rogers, this is a hobby. I mean, they're getting rid of media, as you guys know. So, you know, baseball, it's a hobby. Um, and so and when I say a billion dollars, I mean, they're building north of a billion dollar baseball stadiums now. And then you got to find the land. That's mm -hmm. an additional cost. Where are you going to put it? Um, and, you know, they've got a great location for that. A great, you know, you know, why did I build um, BMO Field downtown? Because I'm a great believer that those buildings need to be right in the heart of a city. Those, that that land doesn't exist now, unless maybe it's out in the Portlands someplace, uh, but that's gonna cost money. So does Rogers really have the appetite for something between a billion and $2 billion when they probably in a darker moment, confidentially off record, say, do we really need this team? No, they need, they need, they need the team for the content. Almost but as much as anything else. you don't have to to have the content. Someone else no, can own buy them. You need to, you need to, but you need to guarantee yourself of that. And, you know, you, you, the days of signing 20 year contracts for, for television and broadcast rights don't exist anymore. Yeah, that's you know, true. I mean, it's a content play, but you know, when you've got a billion and a half that you've just built in this arena, that's just going to do 81 baseball games a year. You could say, well, oh, I could use that money to buy a lot of content over the next yeah, many years. Yeah. But you, you touched on something that uh, that because Bob doesn't agree with us, Richard. I know that's a shock. Um, you, you're a big believer in downtown. You under, yep. you you think that that's important to? Uh, I think this, I, that's the one thing that the stadium has done. If you look at w where the city has grown downtown, it's grown around the stadium. It's done a magnificent job that way. Yeah, I I, I still do. I mean, you look at the Ottawa Senators, they've always had trouble. It started with where they put that stadium. Mm. Uh, you know, I can remember the bus rides on the team thing. Like, <laughs> you want to get out of there before you get on that road or you're going to miss your plane. So, yeah, it's it just, I, I'm a great believer that that's where you put your things. And, you know, we put two there and it kind of proved my case. And look, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you two guys. Um, well, you'd lose. Well, Ottawa, Ottawa's a 45-minute drive or whatever it is outside the city. It's not exactly in this in another part of the city. Downsview is the most valuable piece of undeveloped land in the country, has been for a long time and will continue to be. It is at the um, epicenter of the population of the GTA, almost I exactly at the epicenter, and that's the place where you, where where the next stadium should be built. Um, whether it is or it isn't, I have no idea. And your point was real interesting because there was an article a couple of months ago in uh, one of the papers about um, Rogers looking at a new stadium and seemed to imply that they actually could do what most other cities have done. And that is 
build the new one right next door to where the existing one is. And then after you're finished building the new one, you tear the old one down. Hmm. Is but where that, is that? Where is that location? I, well, I don't know. It's all condos there now. Well, the yeah. only place, the all only place the Richard would be the, the roundhouse, the roundhouse. Richard. I'm not sure it's big enough now. Yeah, no, no, I neither, neither am I, but. <laughs> well, I don't pretend to know either, but that was what the, uh, the point of discussion was. Um, if you were running the building today, if you were running MLSE today, have you thought about what this pandemic has done and um, all the incredibly difficult decisions that would have had to have been made? And, and have you seen things done that you disagree with? Um, you know, I was talking to Larry Tannenbaum last week at length and I said, you know, if I was CEO of MLSE today, I don't think I'd be a very good CEO. I mean, you've lost all the human touch. John knew how much I roamed around, you know, at events all over the place. Um, you know, that, that's how I connected with people and we tried to rally everyone going in the same direction. I think it's a very tough job. Um, I, I, I honestly wouldn't want it the way it is right now. That said, I, I really like the way they've been, you know, one of our core values when John and I were there was be leaders in the community. And um, even though all of those vision and values things have gone by the wayside almost a decade now, uh, they are being good leaders in the community. I mean, what they've done with COVID and, and serving uh, meals, they're still out in the community. What they're doing with racial justice, especially with the Raptors is very impressive. So I think uh, for that, that bit, I think they're doing well. And I think they're still paying the employees. John, do you know whether they are? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's I amazing, have... that's good for them. Well, I, I think the federal government might have helped a bit. Yeah, but still, um, I, I don't think that's going on anymore. So that I think that ended in January. So yeah. have they laid them off since? I, not that I, not that you know, I mean, but let's face it, both teams, uh, both big teams are, are and now even the Marlies are, are playing again. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's difficult to tell people we're going to cut your pay and still make you work in this day. Yeah. Oh, no, no, it is. Um, but there are people like food and beverage and stuff. I mean, there's 700 right. full-time people there at one time. Right. Yeah. A lot of them could be let go. So yeah. I applaud. So Bob, you know, all in all, um, I can't fault, fault what they're doing at all. What about, oh, but what about the practical side? Would you rebuild the basketball team? You're, you, you were a hands-on CEO. You were you 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 uh, did weren't afraid of giving uh, the the general manager your advice. Uh, Kyle well, Lowry was the Kyle Lowry was the trade bait last week, and he didn't get traded. Yeah. Well, they've got three talent. I think if you add up those salaries, I think they're 70, 80 million dollars in, <laughs> in the next year or two. Boy, they've got a lot of sunk in those and. Are they as good as they think? You know, you keep waiting for OG to be what he's going to be. And Siakam has taken a step back. So I'm not sure they've got all that they think they've got. Uh, Lowry, amazing. Point guards start petering out at 31, 32. There's not many Chris Pauls and Lowry's. Um, do you bring him back? It's really tough. And it's not like they've got, they have their draft choices. Uh, they didn't pick up any extras, but they were smart. They didn't lose any. They don't really have much in the funnel right now. <laughs> you know, uh, Masai's made brilliant moves. I hope he's got a couple more up his sleeve. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. He, did he work for you when you were there at one point? No, he was uh, He was working for Brian Colangelo. Okay. But I did get to know him when he moved down to Denver. 
I can remember they paid him like 500,000 bucks to be a GM. And I said, oh man, they're, they're really screwing you. And um, so we stayed in touch. And, but uh, the Lewicki brought him back and that was Lewicki's move and it was a really smart move. With Richard Petty. Um, one of the things that I've talked a bit about, cause I experienced it when I was uh, at Sportsnet was the hockey cult versus the basketball guys. <laughs> The hockey guys hated the basketball guys. It was like a threat to their manhood. Sure. You lived through it from another perspective, um, having both franchises um, under your watchful eye. And Richard was a basketball guy, Bob. Did you sense what I, what I, I mean, I didn't just sense it. I, it happened. It was, it existed. Did it exist for you? Um, listen, I started out with the Raptors and, you know, my job when I joined in 96, the fall of 96, was get that stadium built. And uh, we had a motto, first one with a shovel in the ground wins. Had a shovel in the ground by February. So there I was tangling with Steve Staver, who I used to sell green giant corn to, and Larry Tannenbaum, who I was close friends with. So there was that tension right away. But, you know, the Raptors had to be bought by the, by the Leafs. If there had been two stadiums, I'm not sure there'd be a, a two arenas, there'd be, two, be a basketball team in Toronto because there'd be too many suites and too few concerts to, to share and, and sponsors. It, so it had to happen. Um, you know, I think there was those tensions in those days. I mean, Larry did a pretty cool thing. He did these Christmas dinners where both teams were there. Uh, they sat us, you know, sat us together. Um, and, you know, the players were invited to each other, sit courtside in the case of the, the, the Raptor games or up with Larry in the seats. So, I'm not sure it was as bad as all that, but it's at the same time, I didn't put sodium pentothal in the defenseman to find out if they really hated the Raptors. I think it might've been a little overplayed, probably big at the start. I'm not sure it's a factor anymore, but I don't know that. Well, I don't think it's a factor at all now. I mean, and, and the, the only reason I would say that, uh, that, that it was a factor, Richard, was that there was, uh, you know, when, when, when Pat was there, uh, it was different. And, and Pat ran the hockey team differently than anybody else. He, 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 he there, there wasn't a blueprint or a playbook with Pat. It was a single page. <laughs> and, and, here's, and here's my lineup. Yeah, that's right. Here's my lineup. And here's the, here are the free agents I'm going after. And uh, do you have any questions? You know? well, I, can, I can remember under Bill Waters and, and Ken and um, Pat, we they present the annual plan to the board, and they listed all the free agents. That was <laughs> oh here's all the free agents. And in mm -hmm. those days we could like we I think we spent seventy three million dollars the last year before the hard cap. So I used to joke they'd take an unlimited budget and exceed it. Uh, but their plan was here's all these free agents. Let's go for it, and it worked. I mean we had a great run there uh, with Pat. He did a great job. Richard Petty, our guest uh, today, will take the break, come back with more after this message. Bob McCowan, John Shannon, and the uh, former head of uh, MLSE, among other things, Richard Petty. Hey, I, I got to give Richard some, uh, some, uh, some props because uh, as the two teams have become successful under other people's watches, the one constant that Richard had a vision for uh, was Maple Leaf Square. 
uh, and uh, what's it called? Jurassic Park when the Raptors play. And it, it became a social gathering place. I don't think anybody could have imagined it being this successful. Could you, Richard? No, uh, but a couple things. Um, so we came up with that idea and you know, it was so easy. So I, I basically went into the board meeting. I'm asking like 500 million bucks. And um, I showed the board a couple of pictures and they approved it on a couple of pictures. We hadn't done any of the rest of the work. So then we, we came up with a plan. We put a deposit down for a, a, jum, a big jumbotron. I went out to visit um, LA and to see what they've done around their arena. And I came back and told Bob Hunter, I said, I've got video board envy. Our video board's not big enough. We mocked up three of them on the west side of the building and I picked a bigger one. And so I imagine even then it would be a viewing space. And I think the first event that we did was not even with the Leafs. I think it was a playoff game with the Canucks. And that was the first one. We got very few people out. But then um, with Jurassic Park, which full credit to the marketing team at MSI, uh, they, it exploded with that. And then the Leafs came along. So it's, it's a wonderful place. And, um, you know, it's so far exceeded my expectations. You said you went to L.A. Was that, was that L.A. live at that point? Yes, it was, yeah. And did they – I haven't seen it. So is there a um... – there is a, a big board there too. Oh yeah, it's spectacular. No, it's at least I'm, I'm a little out of date now. No, but I just came away with they just had more video boards. They just had such a presence there, and it just it's just struck me that but, um, we should be the, bigger. The one thing the one thing that LA Live has is it has the Nokia Theater across the street. They did a yeah. good job of building that. So a five thousand seat arena for events like uh, the ESPYS, uh, and 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 the, it, they created. They created such a gathering place. There's a there's a whole plethora of outdoor restaurants. Uh, there's two there there's two hotels in, in within what would be described as LA Live. Uh, in addition to Staples Center, and it's yeah, uh, I, I it's wanted something. to do a I wanted to do a theater uh, at the land. You know, after we bought, I think that parcel land only cost us thirty million bucks or something. Um, after that, the prices started going to the roof and. And, you know, I talked the board into getting into real estate because I was able to find a partner in Cadillac Fairview, which teachers own. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, they were willing to get into a into condos and a hotel and <laughs> real sports bar. And sorry about my dog. Um, uh, but after that, we, we went to them and across the way was another one on the east side. That's now a huge tower. Uh, tried to buy that, but I didn't have enough creativity to say how I was going to program it that mm. that's it, it, that the board would say it was on strategy what if anything was missing from the plan what what would you have liked to have done that you didn't do oh I, I still would have liked to have done that theater concept uh we were negotiating with house of blues house of blues thanks john and uh th those are the type of things so we had real sports which was the biggest revenue restaurant in, around and won the TSN polls, best sports bar in the United States. They had to change the definition. We had that. I really thought we could take, uh, we could create a wonderful food and beverage business and a live entertainment business. But when Rogers and, and, and Bell took over, they just wanted to focus on the team. It was a content buy. They weren't interested in those hobbies. And even though they were on the drawing books, they were part of strap plan, all those ideas, they, they died within months after I left. I would have liked to have done those. Were you still there when Rogers and Bell formed the Unholy Alliance? 
we closed, they did the deal in November uh, and the deal officially closed in June. I'd already just about had my going away party. It was always planned that I would leave January 1st, 2012. So I left and it was good. You know, a president that lasts 14 years is pretty rare in any industry today. And you know, it was time for me to leave. And, um, and, and with new owners, it was the ideal time to leave. How shocked were you that these two mortal enemies managed to agree to share along with uh, Mr. Tannenbaum, the well, equity in this? Uh, it's, um, who was the president at the time from Rogers? Nadir Muhammad. Nadir. So I had, we, we put it up for sale and we were doing pitches. We did a pitch to Bell and a pitch to Rogers and to other people. And I had lunch with Nadir and, and he talked about how he was doing a big meeting at Rogers and it was announced Bell was buying NetStar, I guess, I think it was yeah. something like that. And he left the room to get the news, came back and said, he's telling me the story. He says, they're our biggest enemy. And I said, so I turned to, he's telling me the story. And I turned to him and I said, then why are you partnering with him? I think it was a real mistake. If Ted Rogers had been alive, he would have bought the whole thing. Um, but they agreed I agree. that, uh, that unholy alliance. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people said they overpaid. Uh, that was <laughs> a couple months after that deal went through. I was at a cocktail party with the chairman of teachers. And uh, someone asked her, I was standing beside her, introduced her to a lot of people. Um, why did you sell Maple Leaf Sports? And she said, oh, we topped out. That means that's the amount of money we're going to get out of it. I said, no, you left at least a billion dollars on the table today. Well, look at what do you think that business is worth now? Five, six billion dollars? Started adding up the two billion for the Raptors and a billion and a half for the Leafs and keep going from there. So, so I, you, I was going to ask the question, why did you sell? Um, or why did, why did teachers want out? I mean, they, and let's face it. They, they go by their own, they go by their analysis. They go by their books. They, they thought that they thought there was no more growth. You know, they always said it was a long-term term hold. Everyone thought they would sell much sooner and they did have it for geez, my entire time. They owned the lease before the lease bought us. So they must've owned the lease for Geez, 16 years, something like that. That's, that's a, not according to Steve. Steve thought he still owned it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they'd owned it a long time. So give them credit. They, I think they cleared a billion dollars. It's not bad. Let's move on. We'll pay some more pensions for the thousands of teachers. And, and you know, they might think it, did I think it was worth another billion? Um, I did. Uh, history has proven, or the future has proven me right, that it's worth far more. But they're smart people. They made that call. They, they have a really well-run pension plan. Cole Lammer originally, Jim Leach was the next one. Mm. They had really good leaders. Well, um, and I'm not arguing your assessment of the value of the company at the time of the sale. Um, the question would, would then be, would Rogers and Bell have pulled the trigger on the deal if it had been 2.5 instead of 1.5 or whatever it was? And that's I don't know, but eventually, eventually they would have. I think, uh, you know, I tried to talk this investment firm. I'm trying to remember they were quite, and, and oh, and oh, what was John working on or what we were moving towards was Real Sports, the Real Sports Network. Mm -hmm. We had all of our rights deals, co-terminus. Co they were, what, six months or a year and a half away. We'd have all of that. We had production. We had a very capable team that John created at, at where, well, I can't remember the name of it now. So we had production. We were doing live stuff. We had rights coming due. Uh, they, 
I think they bought it because they were in part afraid of that coming on. It was, you know, whether it was Yankee Nets or a bunch of people doing that stuff. You know, the interesting thing about what, uh, what the vision was at MLSC at the point was that we had gone out and not just become a factor with our own little channels, but we had gone back into both networks, Sportsnet and to TSN, and taken production back from them. I think you were producing more live sports than, than anyone else in Canada. We were. I think we were. We were. We were. Uh, when you consider we were doing at that point eighty-two Raptor games, uh, and we were doing all of, uh, all, yeah, all of all of the all of the Leaf games for Sportsnet and for TSN, and and, and we became we became the and, and it was good for them because they could actually focus on other things. And we then TFC, and then we started finding out that exhibition games had value for the Leafs, and then. The Marlies were filler and you could shoot them, you know, cost effectively. So we had a lot of live games. Um, I, I know the answer. I'm going to get to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And John knows, well, you know, I'm a traditionalist and there are certain things that drive me crazy. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and historic franchise an original six franchise should not be wearing uniforms with which I am completely and utterly unfamiliar. <laughs> and, and, okay, you tweak that striping on the sleeve and you do this, that, and the other thing. I mean, I hated those uniforms that Ballard created with the white stripe all the way down the arm. And they brought them back, but they didn't put the white stripe on it. They put a gray stripe on gray. it, which looks horrific. And you can't read the name on the back and you can't read the number. Petty, I mean... Am I nuts? Or are, these are, you, are you blaming these after me? No, but you're a brand. No, I'm not guy, blaming you. Know, you. I'm you asking you, like, if you were the president, would you have let them do this crap? Uh, you know, we have brand strategies for all of our teams. And, uh, you know, the Leafs, I think, and this is my memory, traditional but contemporary, uh, iconic. Uh, the blue was iconic. The Leaf was iconic. Um, you know, I think the Raptors have messed around more than the, the Leafs, but that's that's probably fair because the Leafs are, yeah. you know, hundred plus years old and right. have to be more consistent. I, I really am not following it these days to know that and worrying about the uniform. So I don't think, I don't think we did too many bad things when we were I there. Tell you what, I, I tell I you, Richard, our, our buddy Kenny decided to put silver on the Leaf sweaters. I don't know if you remember this. He tried to put a silver piping on the league numbers. And I let he got... Kenny do what he wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> Which yes, he did. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, oh, no. There, there's the line of the show so far. It was easier that way. That's right. I, I got to, uh, before we go, I got to throw some names at you because, it, it, again, I'm not trying to butter you up too much. But when you hear the names Dave Hopkinson, Mike Cosentino, Tom Pastore, Jeff DeLine, all guys that uh, were groomed in your time at MLSE, two of them are with the Islanders. The other guy is the chief marketing officer of Madison Square Garden in business New York. guy, business, business guy, guy. yeah. And 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 the other guy is going to do a similar job with the New York Mets. I mean, uh, the, the the tentacles that you created for people to learn on the job, and the MLSE vision seems to be. A lot more places than just Toronto now. And you think Tom Anselmi's in Edmonton, Michael Doyle's in Vancouver. I mean, there's lots of people out there that uh, followed the Petty book. 
Well, I, they used to say, I always judge a university by the quality of its alumni. I think the same speaks of business and I'm really proud of them. Uh, you know, my last book I dedicated to um, all the people that I worked with. Um, yeah, they, they've gone on and done really well. There's name after name. So, you know, I've, I'm in touch with all of the names that you mentioned, some more than others. Uh, I'm thrilled for Hoppy. Uh, you know, first of all, he knocks off uh, Madrid, then he's in New York. Um, you know, they've, they've, um, they've uh, really lost some talent in those four guys. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know who the current marketing and salespeople are there. Hopefully they develop good people. Uh, it's good to catch up with you. It's been a while since we uh, chatted and saw so each you, other. You're going to run for politics? Not a chance. Yeah, I, I, a I kept hearing your name. Uh, uh, Richard Petty's considering running for mayor of Toronto. Well, I realized that John Tory was going to kick my butt. So uh, <laughs> I figured... Why even try to do that? So, you know, name recognition. And, and also, I didn't think Toronto needed an old, another old, rich, white guy doing that job. Well, whatever's next, if there's something next, let us know. And we'll be happy to have you back and promote the hell out of it. Um, okay, well, listen, great uh, great talking to you guys. Nice seeing you. Yeah, and, nice to uh, see you. Good luck with this. Good luck with this. So far, so good. We're hanging in. Excellent. Richard Petty, the uh, former president of uh, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Back to wrap it up after these messages. This is Mikey Aaronworth signing on to the sign off a Frameworth podcast, which is now available on all platforms such as Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Uh, it's a forum for all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the world of sports marketing. On our first episode, we sat down with Daryl Sittler to talk about his infamous 10 point night. How many people you figure were at that game that night, Daryl? Everybody I see. <laughs> 80, 100,000 people. Everybody swears up and down they were at that game. The sign off is available now wherever you get your podcasts. McCowan and Shannon uh, with you again. Our thanks to Richard Petty for uh, joining you us. You like him now or what? You like him now? He and I have always had this love-hate relationship, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I, 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 don't, I don't know what the source of it is, but we've known each other for like 30 plus years. I, I think there's always a debate of uh, very subliminally of who's the smartest guy in the room. And I think you guys try to, I think you guys try to outsmart each other. I really do. I think that there's, I'm going to trip this guy up. And then Richard will say, well, I'm going to trip this guy up. All I know is, is that when you two are in the room with me, I'm third and I, I'm happy with that. That's all. Well, that's the key. <laughs> that's very humble of you to say. Um, <laughs> however true. Now. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I know you wanted to talk about the college basketball game on Saturday. Yeah. Tell you what. UCLA Gonzaga, right? Yep. Yeah, it, you know, and it's funny. I, uh, I I grew up about 200 miles from Spokane, Washington, where Gonzaga University is, and it's always had a very good basketball program. But this this team won in overtime on a 45 foot shot uh, off the backboard to win to beat UCLA. UCLA was the Cinderella of of the tournament. Um, it was a it, 93, 90, I think was the final. It was a hell of a basketball game, Bob. And I, I'll tell you what, I, I can, I love college basketball, but I've watched maybe four all season, 10 minutes into the, into the first half of this game, I was glued. I could not stop watching. It was a fantastic, fantastic basketball game. Well, um, some of that I, I would assume is because you have some sort of 
affiliation, love affair, spirituality yeah. with Gonzaga. Yeah, but I like I've been to I've been to Final Fours. I've been to regionals. I, I the tournament is the, the tournament when pre-COVID is one of the great sporting events. I don't I'm not sure about it this year because I'm always concerned about the health and safety of the players and everybody around it. But right. this is this one uh, this one created some uh, uh, this this one created a moment we will see for. 50 years on television. And that's what makes it so special. Women's final was pretty good too. Um, I'm, Stanford. Uh, yeah, I would have to say. They, um, and how about pedigree there? Russell Wilson's sisters on that team. I mean, yeah, and a, chance for, and a chance for uh, Arizona to win it at the buzzer and um, didn't happen. And they had the ball in the, ball in the, uh, in the best player's hand and she just didn't make the shot. Uh, also, uh, on Sunday, Jordan Spieth, came back from the dead and won a golf tournament in Texas. Uh, and how intriguing that it comes the week before Augusta, uh, which still is in my mind, the most important week in golf in the year for a whole variety of reasons. And I think if you, if you pinned the players down to the ground um, and said, what turn, which, which is the one tournament you want to win the most? Mm -hmm. The Masters would be the one that would come up by far the most. Well, for 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 Americans or for North Americans, yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're British, of course you want to win the Open Championship, yeah. and maybe yeah. even some Europeans may say that. But I don't even know. There's a bunch of guys um, I think would rather win a Masters than win a win an Open Championship. But we'll you know that's we're going to find get, out in a week. That's because you get invited every year for the rest of your life. Well, that's a part of it, and because it's a special, special place. And now here you have Jordan Spieth um, with a chance to win another Masters. And really, he has played very, very well for a couple of months now and culminates it with a victory in Texas. Um, hard for me to think of him as anything but the favorite for that tournament now. You think? Already? Yeah, I After, do. You do, huh? Wow. I, I do. I think hot, hot beats almost everything. We got to get out of here. We'll be back tomorrow with another program, whether you like it or not. Uh, for John Shannon, Bob McCallum, we'll see you next time.